Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13 is our text for this evening. But you'll want to stay in that entire chapter for tonight, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 is our text. Uh, uh, by the way, I'm not supposed to say anything about this. The fact that it is Gladys Hardaway's birthday today, so I'm not going to say anything about it. Uh, she doesn't want recognition, but she will take money. Okay, so uh, uh, if, if you can help her out, okay, <laughs> all right, okay. I just heard the word kill. <laughs> all right, First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 is our text. And there we read, And now abideth faith, hope. Charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Now, I, I can't help but to think when I read that verse. Faith, hope, charity. <clears throat> Often, those are names that are given to young ladies. They're babies, you know, they're born, it's a girl, you know, and they give it one of those names. Can you imagine a man having Three babies, calling one faith, one hope, and the other one charity. I mean, the charity has the bragging rights. I'm the greatest of all. <clears throat> I mean, she would have it made. But when you think about these words, they, they really have something that just kind of grabs your attention. But you wonder why. Say, faith, hope, and charity. Oh, those are great words. Well, what do they mean to you? Well, we want to get looking uh, at that here in just a few moments, but let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that as we look into your word this evening, thy Holy Spirit would just speak to each of our hearts. Do the work that only you can do in our hearts. Lord, uh, thank you for allowing us to have your word here in this auditorium to preach and teach. But it's thy spirit that must do the work. And I pray, Lord, I'm asking you and calling upon you to do so at this time in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, <clears throat> many times when we think on sermons that are using this verse, this, this specific verse, uh, it's preached on or taught on with kind of a sentimental type of attitude or value with it. Uh, it's one of those kind of things that uh, we just makes us feel good to say the words, I guess. I, I'm, I'm not real sure about that, but those are virtues that we have there when we look at it in the Bible that are given definitions. When somebody usually preaches on it or teaches on it, they try to find a definition and uh, they want to uh, maybe do something or say something that you've never heard before. Now, the problem is that when we say we're going to make this emphasis on charity, people have different ideas of charity. And the lesson I want you to get from this tonight about this word charity comes from a Greek word, now, I'm going to say this in about two or three ways, okay? Agape. Agape. Then I've heard the word agapeo. 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 It sounds like God has a hiccup the whole time he's trying to say it. And, and there's probably about four or five words involving the Greek word agape. I've heard it called agape. Okay, so listen, it's not the correct enunciation I'm going to try to provide for you tonight, just rather to show what is being said when we see that particular word that is written down about agape or agape or whatever you want to call it, okay? <clears throat> so we'll, we'll just go at it from that. I'll, I might say one one time and another the other time, but just realize we're talking, when I'm talking about that part of it, I'm talking about the same thing. So, you have different words here that uh, go along with this. 
And at times it's stated, and yet it may have a different definition than what you've given it, because there's maybe three or four words there in the Bible that have that spelling or a form of that spelling. And it means one thing in one place, maybe something just a little bit different in another place. And usually it's seen through the context of what the definition is. And I've used the words in the past like, I read the book, R-E-A-D. Hey, I will read R-E-A-D, the book. Well, which one is it? They both are spelled the same way. Well, the context will tell us uh, what it is. So you go by the context of, of the word. Now, the word spelling in Greek has different ways. But more often, when we think of it, we're thinking of the form of agape, but it's spelled different. And we don't see it. I mean, really, I sat down. Look, I've, I've got this English Bible in front of me. It could have the word charity, it could have the word love, and it could be using agape or one of those forms of it, okay? And that's the reason we have Bible study. That's the reason we try to dig into it. That's the reason we have uh, concordances and, and, and we have other study helps that helps us to get to understand that word. But in our text here, in verse 13, the word uh, wasn't uh, actually agape. It wasn't really found in classical Greek. Rather, it was revealed in religious literature of that day. And so the classical end of it, no, but in religious literature of the day, it was. But it actually meant a benevolent love. And, and, and get this, it's important. By that a benevolent love, it is not meant doing what the person loved desires. That is not the benevolent love that he's talking about. Rather, it is about the one who loves doing what they deem necessary is needed by the one they love. Probably one of the best illustrations of that, of not what the one desires, but what the one needs, and the one that loves them, giving them what they need more than what they would say desire. And the best illustration of that would be found in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That love gave mankind the opportunity of eternal life, He gave man what he needed for that. That was the love that he has. God so loved the world. Now, as I said also, there are the people that say agapeo, or agapeo, okay. I've always tried to figure out, why do they do that? Okay, I guess it's supposed to sound intelligent, but nonetheless, there's different words there when they say it. But this word, agapeo, I'll say it that way to make it easier, is a direction of the will, finding one's joy in something. It is a choice of the will. And, and by the way, let me just insert this. There are probably people watching us tonight that have studied Greek, know Greek, and they're having a fit right now. That's why I enjoyed doing that. Okay. Now, but again, this word here is just a little bit different. It is a joy in something. It is a joy, it is a choice, should I say, of the will. Now remember, the command in God's Word is for men to love their wives. Matter of fact, in Ephesians, we see, even as Christ loved the church. But, but it's in the Old Testament now as well. They are to love their wives. Now, I want you to think back. 
Not only New Testament days, but Old Testament days. The culture of the day. The way they did things in that day. Many times, the wife was chosen for the young man by the young man's father. I've told y'all, but uh, I'll just say it again here for illustration's sake. Uh, many of you remember my dad. We, we were living in Bradenton. My brother Dick and I, you know, we're, here we are, teenage boys, you know, and, and uh, uh, we both, each, each of us have a girlfriend. We come home that evening, Dad says, okay, now, now you're going to go over here to Brother So-and-So's house and you're going to take out their daughters. What? Yeah, you're going to take out their granddaughters. Their granddaughters were visiting from some other state and said, All right, no, we can't do that. We got, we got, you're doing it. You know, when dad says you're doing it, you're doing it. So we pull up to that house and Dick and I are looking at each other, saying, What are we getting into? The first one that came out, I said, Dick, that one's yours. I'm going to make a scene here if you don't take that one. So Dick takes that one. He actually did. I wish I hadn't said that. I think the second one that came out played nose tackle for the Green Bay Packers. I, I really do. You know, I mean, she comes walking out there and I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, and I, you can't say that because her sister's sitting in the car. So, so they go out. Dick, a lot smarter than I am, okay. He's thinking this through. He drives to another city where nobody knows us, so we won't lose our cred, okay? Now, when I, when I look back at all that, I said, man, that was kind of dumb on our part, but uh, he said you're doing it, we're doing it. Well, it makes me think back of a wife being chosen for a man. He may not have even met her. He didn't know what he was getting. For example, remember, the servant was sent to the far country to find a bride for Isaac, brings back Rebekah, and, and they're married. They are married. They paid the price for it, and they are married. That, and that's the way they would do. They would bargain. Okay, I'll give you three camels for that girl. And, and uh, man, she's worth five. You know, and so they would barter back and forth. I mean, girls, how, how does that make you feel? But uh, that's the way they did in that day, and they were married. But what I want you to see is not how that happened, but rather God's command was to love their wife even if that had not been their choice. Even if it had been arranged. And I tell you that to say Love is a choice. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind. Wait a minute. Have I seen him physically? Have I heard an audible voice? And I'm to love him? See, love is a choice. And so they were to love their wives. Now, love is not something that just overcomes you and you can't help it. Uh, usually that is just simply called lust and it's not love. God commanded to love. Now having said all of that, we're looking at something here. Now about faith hope, and charity. Keep those things in mind. Faith, hope, charity. Of course, he said the greatest is charity. But what does God mean by it? Now, I'm going to read all of chapter 13 right now to you. I'm going to ask that you listen but ask the Spirit of God to reveal 
to you the definition, giving you understanding of what he's addressing. How is charity applied in hope? How is it applied in faith? Now, don't speak out while you're sitting there listening and say something to the person besides you and all that, and they, they hear you talking. Uh, don't, don't be talking while uh, giving your expression at the time. Not only is it annoying, it may make them think, that's the biggest dummy. How did I get sitting here? <laughs> okay, so uh, they may be thinking something different. That's why I say, ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you these things as I read it through it. Okay, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am becoming as sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. By the way, didn't Jesus say if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say that mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I, have, uh, though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, speaketh not of her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. And let me just say while I go to the next verse, verse 7, is that already reading some of those things there, I said, boy, there's a whole sermon in each of those statements, that when your mind begins to think on those things. But verse 7, continuing about charity, beareth all things, believeth all things, Hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we look through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now about his faith, hope, and charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. But now let us apply faith and hope uh, to their use in the greatest of these things being applied benevolently. In other words, in love, as we see with that word agape, 
the word charity. And as we look at this, let's see it first applied in verses 1 through 3. You think of the voice of men and angels as a loud commanding voice that strikes fear in the hearts of people, in the minds of uh, men and women. When they hear that voice as it speaks authoritatively, think of that voice that can say something as a command, and it will be carried out. Whatever it says will be taken care of. So if one has that ability, but not a benevolent love, then really, that one is an annoyance to charity. Now again, when I say charity, I'm not talking about how much you give to church, how much did you give to some charitable organization. That's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about relationship among ourselves, among the house of God, and our place in this world for the Lord. And so, if we have not charity, we're nothing but tinkling cymbals and sounding brass. You ever one time see one those cymbals, they come together, you know, you see it, and you had that opportunity, you're by yourself, and clang, bang, you know. You're the only one that enjoyed it. Nobody else in the room enjoyed it. Okay. You enjoyed it, but nobody else did. And he's saying, it may sound good to ourselves, but really, it means nothing to anyone else. The voice that gets you to do something, something that is there that you need or want, but you lack love and refuse to supply that need for that one that calls out. Aren't you glad that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? And because he so loved the world, he will save. And so, as you look at that, and, and he gives, But we see, he's looking for hope. He's calling out. Somebody needs you. But you refuse to supply what is needed. The hope is vain. You know, in verse 3, sacrificial giving. Seeking glory for yourself. Those things that are written there in verse 3 is not holy charity when we're looking for that glory, that self-exaltation. Wanting people to know, look what I did. Oh, look at me. A statement on faith, all should be carried out in these verses in loving charity, which would be carried out in love first for God. You do these for others. Though you give your body to be burned. Though you bestow all your goods to feed the poor. You're doing it for God. Because He <clears throat> impresses you. Wants you. Leads you to do it. Not to get the headlines of men and the exaltation of them. 
You carry out His love, His will, even if it wasn't something that you would do under normal circumstances. It's not something that you would normally enjoy, but you know God wants you to do it. And because you know God wants you to do it, you do it. And when the love in your heart for God is real, there's a joy in doing His will. You say, we have a love for souls. Well, I better give a crack. I better say something. Man, I don't like to do that. I can be a good Christian and do that, do that. But you see, when we're only doing that thing that pleases our own flesh, we're not acting in faith, and especially we're not acting in love. See, carrying out love according to His will, even if you don't like it, normally under normal conditions. You do it because you love God. And so, uh, looking into verses 4 through 8, it tells us how love behaves. This is how love behaves itself. If love is real, read verses 4 through 8 and you'll see how love behaves itself. These things should be seen in the things of verses 1 through 3 that we just looked at. These things in our lives as Christians who love the Lord our God should be clearly evident. We then look at verses 9 through 12. It shows the great thing mentioned of faith, being able to just to pray and a mountain is removed. To pray, maybe it's over a sick person and they are healed. Maybe it's to pray for a great need and it is met. But then sometimes it's prayed because you have that faith to do so, but the love is not there, but rather self-exaltation. So sometimes when we go about these things, we talk about what we've accomplished, not realizing Anything that has eternal value for Christ, He accomplished through us. And that and that alone. The things that faith can bring about, the way that our hopes can be fulfilled, all those things are short, far short. Our faith is short. Our hope is short. If we lack the greatest of these, which is charity. Now, I want you to consider three applications of this word hope tonight, which calls on our part to be doing all in a true godly charity that we do. So, this really calls on each of us to ask the very Spirit of God because your relationship with God is so very personal. We're related, I'm related to you as brothers and sisters in Christ, but the most important relationship you have is not with your spouse, it's with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you keep your relationship with your spouse as best as you can because it pleases the Lord. You love her because it pleases the Lord. But it's a true love. It's a true love. It's a choice. And you make that choice. Knowing God wants you to make that choice. And so, as we look at these applications of hope in a true godly charity, so to speak, asking the Holy Ghost to examine us and give us understanding if we have this charity that's spoken of here, ask God to personally, in your personal relationship with Him, to have the very Spirit of God reveal the realness of these things in your own heart. Hope. First C, we need this godly charity of hope in us as it pertains to forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, if there are people that have a bad reputation, maybe in the community, this day that we live, somebody can visit the church and say their name, and some people write the name down, go home, and they'll go over the uh, internet, and they'll try to find anything they can about that person. That person has no true godly love in their heart that does that, by the way. They are led of Satan and don't even realize it. I mean, I'm not saying they're not saying, I'm just saying they're led of Satan and don't realize Satan puts that in their heart. You see, and why I'm saying that is this. If we have that charity in us that pertains to forgiveness, we won't say, well, I hope that person doesn't come to our church. Hope they don't become a part of us. You know what happened in their past? Uh, really? Would people who say that, or any of us in this auditorium, want somebody to know everything of our past? Those hidden things that others don't know. I think not. But there, I don't want those kind of people in our church. I don't want that person. Actually, they wouldn't say it this way, but they don't want that person to get saved here. They don't want to rededicate their life and be here. That's a person who thoroughly, very thoroughly, does not understand the charity of hope. The hope, in this case, of forgiveness. If we're more ready to condemn and gossip about them, then you have no true idea whatever of godly charity. Now I'm going to read a verse, uh, verse here from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9-11. through 11. You usually hear me use this when I'm speaking on salvation. But this might be a good place to place it as well. There he says, no you're not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, be not deceived. Neither fornicators. That's sexual sin of any kind. It can be bestiality. It can be watching pornography. As a matter of fact, fornication comes from that Greek word pornea, which we get our word uh, pornography. It can be sexual sin of any kind. Fornicators, or idolaters, nor adulterers, those that cheat in their marriage, nor effeminate, the homosexual, nor the abuses of themselves with mankind, and those would include the child abusers. Uh, by the way, I would say that this would also include these people that are marching, doing their dances, dressing up, men dressing up as women, or women trying to dress up as men. That would come under that filthy, rotten sins that are listed here for us. 
they would come under that. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers. The reveler was the guy that was the parting, social drinking, or even drunk, either way. But a lot of times it's just social drinking, drinking, partying, and doing whatever. Nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You say, well, see, right there, God doesn't want that kind in His church. He doesn't want that kind. Uh, but notice what He says in the next verse. And such were some of you. Uh-oh, God changed that whole group. They came to Jesus for forgiveness. They knew what they were. They knew they were sinners. They knew they deserved to go to hell. But believing that Jesus died for them and paid their penalty, they were ready to repent and receive full forgiveness. I remember years ago hearing preachers preach on homosexuality and saying, a homosexual cannot get saved. Because it's impossible to renew them. And they would go in Romans and talk about that a little bit, but listen. Grace is greater than all our sin. You've got a wayward child that is in homosexuality. They're caught up in all these other things that are going on today. Don't give up on them. They can be saved. There's still power in the blood. There's still a chance for that person to get saved. What a preacher saying that says that they can't get saved is saying this. This is one sin that the devil's taking these people into that God doesn't have the power to save them from. Oh, well, it doesn't say that, does it? No, that's people saying that. That's not what they say. That's not what they don't use those words. But if they say God can't save a homosexual, they're saying that there is a sin that is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't tread there if I was you. Wouldn't tread there in your self-righteousness at all in that place. So verse 11 says, And such were some of you. Now you think of that Corinthian church. Some of them in that church had these things in their past that we just read. And they were part of that church, but not only part. Look at the rest of it. He says, but ye are washed. How? Well, that was by the blood of Jesus. But ye are sanctified. What does it mean? Set apart for sacred use. These people not only got saved and cleansed by the blood, they were also set apart even with that past, to be able to be used for the Lord. And no, they may not be a pastor, may not be a deacon because of the past. But they can be a witness. They could be teachers. They could be other things. I'm just saying that when God sanctifies, don't tell God he made a mistake. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Do you realize that that list there is justified just the same way I am? It's in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name, not by my accomplishments or your accomplishments. It's all through Him. So having said that, it shows that we can be and should be forgiven upon repentance and faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So you and I can't see the heart. Well, that person can't change. Well, if you get your way, they won't. But is that what you want? Is that what you want to go before the judgment seat of Christ? Say, I didn't want people to get saved. I want them to go to hell. When he said that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance? What are we? Yes, there's that hope of forgiveness. 
But there's another hope. The hope of freedom. I think of the woman at the well. She had had five husbands and the man that she was living with was not her husband. And Jesus told her that. She was enslaved to a sin. She was caught up in it. But what she needed was freedom from the power of that sin. Not just the forgiveness, but from the freedom of the power. How do we see any freedom? Because after that conversation where she sees this is the Messiah, this is the Savior, this is the Lord, and she's receiving Him at that moment, she runs back into town. It tells us that she went in and seen all the men. That is, she went back and seen all the men she'd been in sin with. Come here, man. He told me everything I did. Everything I did, He told me. You say, well, well I don't see it written there. No, you don't see the entire conversation. When the disciples got back, they saw him talking to the woman, but they just didn't know what he was saying, and it doesn't record what she was saying. That might be where it happened. Realize, you are claiming something that's very dangerous to claim when you say, well, they can't be saved, or I don't, there's no change in their heart. When you say that you can, or that's what they think, you know what you're saying? You're saying you can see the heart. In other words, you're claiming deity for yourself. I can see their inner person. I can see their heart. Really? You want to claim Godship for yourself? You talk about something that's blasphemous. That's something that's more blasphemous than these sins I just read. So, people watching on the internet said, I wonder what kind of problem they're having there. Not having a problem, folks. I'm just trying to warn. So, here her soul was thirsting to receive the water of life, to be forgiven. But more than that, to be freed from the power of sin. And folks, God can still forgive and He can also set free. He told me all that I ever did. Now, I don't know if they were self-righteous or not, but there were some people, I mean, she was going around town to everybody, she wanted them to have what she had. They go out there and some of them believed because of her word. That may have been the ones that had, had relationship with her. But there were others that said, well, we believe, not because of your word, because of His word. Well, it's great because you believe because of His words. Believe His words. I don't know if it's really important that they told her, not because of your words, but it didn't matter. She was just happy they got saved. She was just happy that they got saved. You have unconfessed sin, things that are not made with, uh, right with the Lord, or with others for that matter. Well, God tells us what to do. See, know that true, deep down cleansing comes when you've received Christ as Savior and you give Him that day your heart and life. Because you see, oh, you'll have people that will throw your past in front of you why? Because they aren't spiritually right. They'll try to throw it up as much as they can. But the peace you need is in the depths of your spirit. Yes, you need forgiveness. Secondly, you need freedom. But there's one more part of hope. And that is the hope of fitfulness. We just read that in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 
been cleansed and made holy for His sacred service. They aren't fit because of natural abilities they have. They're fit because God has cleansed them. He's placed His Spirit in them. And now they can be used of Him as they live in obedience to Him and His Word. They're fit for the Savior's use. Look, let me be very, just very, very straightforward. Murderers, hey, Paul was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. Murderers, harlots, sluts, pornographic people hooked on it or doing it, drunkards, drug addicts, rapists have been saved. And not only saved, but led of God to bring others to the saving, forgiving Jesus Christ through His blood. They've led others. They've been used of God to do that. Might even be able to say that there's some folks in this church that have been there. God changed them. Some folks have prayed for years for a wayward spouse, for wayward parents, for a wayward child, for wayward siblings. That someone would witness and have that power with God and that person, that loved one of theirs. They'd hear, although they've heard the gospel many times, but the Lord would use them in such a way that they'd repent and get right with God. Tonight, that's what we're asking each of ourselves to be, to be a man or a woman of faith, of hope, with charity in all things. It knows that God can change people. Heaven can rejoice with you. And, and, and let me say this, giving out that track, going after that person. Man, you see their bodies tattooed. You see everything all over in their face. You see the, you've heard their language walking around. Do you realize God loves that soul more than you love your own children? And God has entrusted you and I with the hope of forgiveness, the hope of fitting them for something. I mean, wow. And the hope of freedom from that sin that has so easily beset them. And He can use you. And guess what? If you let God use you, you'll be criticized. You'll have people not want much to do with you that call themselves Christians. How's that Christ-like? I don't know. But they'll call themselves Christians. And they don't want you bringing those people to Christ. They don't want you bringing those kind of people that you got saved into the church. Church, the local church, Jesus Christ designed it to be a home for new babes in Christ to be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ as His Word is taught and preached. Tonight I'm just asking you to do this. God, show me myself. I think I have faith and I think I have hope and I think I have charity. And they work together. But ask God tonight to show you 
how he by his Holy Spirit can work those things in you and through you to reach out and save, bring souls to salvation, should I say, that are headed for an eternal destiny in the lake of fire. When God wants them to be saved. And he wants you to have the honor that will receive great glory and praise in heaven that cared enough to bring those souls in. Uh, I think all of us have seen it one place or another. Somebody's been down on that person about their life, that person about their life, this person about their life, and yet the same person may have a wayward grandchild or someone else that's into those things but they don't want that condemnation of them. The greatest of these is charity. Yet faith and hope are such your need. So ask yourself, what place does faith and hope and charity benevolent love that's giving people what they need. Jesus Christ. Am I doing it or am I not doing it? Maybe tonight it's time to come to this altar and just say, Lord, I want to enter heaven with faith, hope, and charity being the greatest of these manifested in and through the rest of my life before I see Jesus. I've just given you a taste of some of the things that people would call negative, but heaven will call positive because people can be saved from those things. And God can use you to get that accomplished. Will you let him? We can say, Lord, here am I. Send me, use me. And you'll do God's will, God's way, God's timing. Let's bow our heads, please.